Um, many of you know that one of the things that we do here at the plant is we help a lot of church plants get going. We assist them with it, whether it be worship or different things going on. Um, in our denomination, we have been asked to mentor about seven or eight different churches as well. And so as I had to go away on this weekend, I asked some other leaders to come with us. Uh, Kurt Leininger had brought a team with him from the plant, and another team of us had shown up as well. And during the time, what we had talked about is basically everything what God has been doing here at this church. And I know that over the last year, we've been talking about prayer. But as I was sitting there on Sunday morning, God just started speaking to me about this Sunday that there has to be these times in our church life that we just stop and look at what is God doing in our church. Because we want to line ourselves up with his church, correct? Then when we look at the Gospels, when we look at the book of Acts, are we doing the very things that Jesus had sent his disciples out? And as I walked away from this past weekend and talking with Nairi and other people, it was so affirming that, yes, we are going in the right direction. Do we do things perfectly? No. But do we strive to be the early church? And the simple answer is yes. And so for us, we always have to put ourselves in the mirror of Scripture to say, are we actually doing this? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I want to just take a couple different passages from Acts and see what is it that Jesus had asked his disciples to do and how did the church manifest the Gospels in their communities? So do me a favor, turn with me to page 655 in the church Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And if you have a church Bible, turn to page 655. To me, I get very frustrated when I think about church. Because believe it or not, the one job I told myself I never would do is what? Be a pastor. Why? Because I saw so much hypocrisy I saw the busyness, I saw the programs, I saw people on the sidelines being hurt. But when I really started reading the book of Acts, it started to share, share to my soul what the church is supposed to be. Acts chapter 2 says this, verse 42 through 48. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Think about this. This is the first church. They were beginning to model the life that Jesus had showed them how to live. Just stop for a second. What did Jesus do? When Jesus traveled with the disciples, he took nothing. He took very few things with him and he told his disciples to do the same thing. And in every community, in every local context, Jesus had met the needs. We know about the healings. We know about the deliverances. We know about the miraculous signs. But it was also more than that. I think for me that some of the two greatest stories that we need to always remember was the woman at the well. In this woman's local context, 
And in her brokenness, Jesus spoke life into her. Knowing her wrong, knowing her sin, knowing how she had affected negatively her community, Jesus stepped in to bring healing, emotional and relational healing. But then I also think about the feeding of the 5,000. This was one of the things that the disciples did not want to step into, right? All they wanted to do was Jesus do his big signs and his big miracles and his big wonders, and then let's go into the woods and let's make a nice, comfortable meal together, alone. Let's exclude them from us. But Jesus said no. And do you know who Jesus had used to feed so many people? The little boy. The willing one. And even up until Jesus did his miraculous sign with the the bread and the fish, his disciples questioned him. But you see, what Jesus had modeled for them was, yes, healing. Yes, deliverance. All things that we believe in church. And also, yes, providing for the emotional and physical needs of community. And you see, after Jesus had died and was risen to life, the apostles started modeling this. They started doing the very same thing. You see, they went from a small group of people to like 3,000 overnight. Yes, because of signs and wonders. But just as important and even more so. Because when they watched Jesus' life, they began to model it in their community. What does it say? That they gathered to do all the spiritual things. They gathered to pray. They gathered to do the Lord's Supper. They did all of these things and they, they listened to the apostles' teachings. But they also looked out for one another's needs. Not just in their group, but also outside their group. And you know what it says at the end of Acts chapter 2, verse 47? And the Lord added to their numbers. Because people were hungry for truth. But truth modeled. You see, that's what Jesus did. Everything that he did before he went to heaven to be next to his Father, he modeled truth. He modeled holy relationships. You see, this sounds all fun and dandy, and it's so amazing to think about this. And this is a time when we look at Acts chapter 2 that everything was going right. No conflict, no problems. But the tension is, is what happens when conflict and chaos and trials and temptations and persecution come into our life. You see, the disciples experienced this with Jesus. You see, what happened was early in John, the Gospel of John, everyone was following Jesus. There was this tremendous hope, this tremendous anticipation. And all of a sudden, Jesus had this huge crowd in front of him. And they all wanted to use him for their own good. And Jesus threw a hard teaching. He said, do you really want to know me? Then eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. 
And you know what happened? Everyone scattered. But the 12. Did Jesus mean to physically eat his flesh and drink his blood? No. What he was saying is what I have modeled to you and who I am, you take that upon yourself to live in this place. To mirror me to the world around us. You see, there are many times when the disciples were hit with conflict. And all throughout the Gospels, whenever there was conflict, people scattered. And it wasn't to the very end where the greatest conflict of Jesus had come when he was taken by the soldiers and, and crucified and buried. But the one thing that had happened was the one thing that Jesus had always promised he did. And so the thing that they had learned was that in our conflicts, Jesus is always present. Think about your conflicts. Think about the last time something really difficult happened in your life. What do you do? What are some things we do when conflict happens? We cry. We run. We do cry. We run. Shut down. What else do we do? Don't even worry about the mic. It's okay. We get on our knees. What else? Don't worry about the mic. Who cares about it? What else? What do we do? We yell. Did someone say yell? Eat. Okay, we eat ice cream. We eat ice cream. We ask God for strength. We try to fix it. We, we reach out to someone. But I'm going to stop you right there. Ignore it. Oftentimes, we do not reach out to others. In, all, in a lot of communities all throughout the world, they have learned what community is to the point that they lean into one another. But you see, even when we have such tremendous conflicts in our life, whether it's ancient times, whether it's a, a Middle Eastern culture, or whether it's here in our backyard, we oftentimes go into a place of isolation. Not wanting to be associated with those in conflict. Right? And I love how in our lives, and I, I love it and I hate it, because oftentimes in our life, when we come to Jesus, we, we kind of live on this high for a few years. Anyone ever have that? You come to Jesus and like, everything you pray for comes true. Has that ever happened? Like when you become a Christian, everything you pray for comes true. Everything. I mean, I wish when I first came to Jesus, I prayed for a Harley because I don't think I'm ever going to get it. And I know my first couple years, if I would have just prayed Jesus, the Harley, it would have just popped up. But there comes a place in all of our life and also in our communities and also in our churches that conflict comes again. And for me, like the only thing that matters is not how we come into our community, but how does our community thrive in the midst of other people's brokenness? 
in the midst of other people's pains, in the midst of other people's loss, in the midst of other people's trials, in the midst of other people's temptations, in the midst of other people's failures. You see, that's the true test of the gospel. Right, Bruce? Right? That's the true test of the gospel. Is how does the power of the gospel and the power of the gospel in the midst of community have that same transforming power? Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Amen? At the end of the day, that's all that matters. Turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, just a few pages over. Page 62. This is actually one of my favorite Bible passages. Matter of fact, it's also Eddie Schur's favorite Bible passage. And oftentimes when I've preached this passage before, because it's one of my favorite passages that I preach on, has everything to do with a single individual. But as I was thinking about the real church and how the church handles stuff, I honestly think this passage has nothing to do with just that one individual, but how the community responds. You see, here's what happens. Everything in the gospel is flying. People are coming to Jesus. Life is being transformed for so many. But both the Jewish and the Roman leaders are terrified that the way, that's what they call Jesus' followers, were going to take over the Roman government. They thought that they were going to become so numerous that they weren't going to be able to control what was actually happening, which was kind of crazy because this is what the Jewish leaders had waited for. That a Messiah would reveal himself to bring life eternally and bring life in such a way that, that people would have to recognize who he was. But you see, both the Jewish leaders and the Roman government said this has to stop, and so they killed Stephen. Remember, Stephen was stoned? Stephen was actually killed by, by religious leaders, not by the Roman government. And now these parties came against them. And they took Peter because they're thinking, if we can take away Peter, we can take away the whole tribe. If we can get rid of the leader, everyone will stop trusting what is going on And it'll just kind of fade away. And so that's what they do. They take Peter. They put him in prison. And everyone from the community gathers. Now I use that word everyone because it's a pretty broad statement, right? I bet you in the midst of this that a majority of people were gathering. And yet there were still a few who never showed up in fear of whatever. But you know what they did when they, when they showed up at Mary's house? Mary, the mother of John Mark, one of my favorite people in scriptures. They got, to, they got together, they got, they got together, and they didn't go into a, a time of chaos. They actually prayed. They stopped and they sought their heavenly father to rescue them. To rescue Peter because to rescue Peter meant to rescue them and so they were identified. 
And as they prayed, here's what happened. I'm just paraphrasing this so you can read it. Peter thought he was in a dream when he was in prison, but actually wasn't a dream. An angel of the Lord had untaken, undone his chains and opened up the doors of the prison and Peter had walked out. And the moment he walked out, he still thought he was in a dream until he was some distance away. That's what some translations say. Some distance away. And he snapped out of it. And he recognized God had rescued him. It also says in the passage that when the soldiers had awoke, that they, were, that they had no idea what had happened and they were terrified because if Peter got let out somehow, what was going to happen to them? They'd be put to death. And so Peter went to the one place he trusted most, his community, the church. You ever pray for something and when it comes true, you don't believe it? You ever pray that something would happen in life and you just keep asking your spouse or someone you, you, you really trust, say, did that really happen? Did that really happen? And so when Peter knocks on the door, Rhoda answers it. What a great name, Rhoda. Rhoda answers the door and she does not believe that it's Peter. So she keeps him locked outside. And she goes in and says, who's at the door? I think it's Peter's angel. I don't know, it can't be him, he's in prison. Well, let's go check again. And when they check, Peter is standing there. And they welcome him in. Do you know what Peter does? Probably gets some food, grabs some water, hangs out, tells of the miraculous story that had just happened. And then he says, I'm going. I'm going to do it again. And he leaves. The one thing that I am so proud of, of being the pastor here, one of the pastors, is that when we have conflict in our communities, when we see issues in people's lives, we have really stepped up to the plate. Whether it be Hurricane Irene or Hurricane Sandy or, or whatever it could be, whether it be the, the, the Newtown shooting or whether it be someone in the community who had lost a loved one, you all have stepped in in some way. I could look around the room, whether it was, what was, uh, was a woman who I met two years ago, two and a half years ago, or someone who called us this past week. You see, there's three things when you look at the story of Jesus, the, na- the narrative, the real life example that he gave us. There are three things that he gave us. One, himself, which is the good news. We believe in the gospel. And we believe in the gospel that saves and transforms. And we believe that because of Jesus, I don't have to live in shame or guilt because of my sin. But rather, Jesus heals me of my sin. And I get to walk holy with my Heavenly Father. We believe in that gospel. And we don't water it down. 
We also believe like the early church in community. That in community we grow together. In community we see the gospel more and more clearly. That's why I had Nairi share. Nairi has taught me so much of the gospel. Tom Shanley has taught me so much of the gospel. My family has taught me so much of the gospel. Josh has taught me. Kyle, Mike, we teach each other the gospel constantly. But it doesn't just stop with community and gospel because that's where a lot of people get lost. And many churches become exclusive. If you come in, we will serve you. But Jesus also taught us mission. What was the last thing that Jesus said before he went to heaven? What did he say? Go. And make disciples. Of who? All people. Teaching them to obey. And baptizing them. You see, we're called to go. There may be a day we have a building. There may be a day that we have a a place to to call home. But I got to be honest with you. I think the healthiest thing that God has done in our church is to allow us to meet right here. Because it keeps us honest. Right? Keeps us honest. And there will be a day, because there will be a day in New Jersey where they say, no more churches and schools. They've already done that in New York, and there will be a day in New Jersey, and it will be soon. And at that point, we will find a home, or even before, you never know. But the thing that I am most proud of is that as we go, people come to know Jesus for who he is. And so that's our vision. That we would truly know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that together in community, that the gospel would be lived out. Holding to the apostles' preaching, taking communion, and praying for one another. But we would do this along the way we would go and see what God is doing out there. And so here's what I want to do this morning before we come to the Lord's table. Because all this morning is, it's, it's words of affirmation. I am affirming you today that God is doing something special in your life. And if you feel broken and messed up, it's okay. God's going to heal you. This is where God has you. But if you're at a place right now, we want to do what the early church had always done as they went, was to pray for one another. I know we prayed for the Mackenzies. I know we prayed for Nicole. But I don't think we could ever close a message like this before we come to the Lord's table to stop and pray. And so one, I want to affirm you. Thank you for all you who call the plant family, that you've modeled this to me. And two, if you are here and you are hurting and you are broken, no matter who you are, we want to pray for you. And the way we do this very simply is we just ask you to stand and we come around you and pray for you.